Uh, it's great to be in the house today. I've got a quick question for you. Show of hands. Who has arrived at WBC? You've started attending sometime in the last 12 months. Raise your hand. Up high. Get them real high. All right. Keep them up. Keep them up. All right. Join those people if it's in the last two years you began attending WBC. No, no. Keep them up. Keep them up. See, don't put them down. So I'll tell you to put them down. All right. Now, in the last five years, look around. Look around. Wow. Wow. Welcome to all of you in the last five years. That's amazing. I'm just guessing, but more than half probably had their hands up for that. That, that is just humbling and amazing. Five years ago this weekend, I became the lead pastor of WBC. Yeah, yeah. And four people are excited about that still. That's a good thing. And uh, I was humbled. I was wearing a suit, yeah, yeah. That, uh, except, except, except for weddings and funerals, that's the last time. Right, right, so, so yeah. So anyway, uh, when I was called to, to be the pastor, I was uh, very humbled and uh, also excited. I was filled with hope and overwhelmed. And I'm still filled with hope and I'm still overwhelmed five years in. And overwhelmed is a good thing because that forces us to lean into God rather than ourselves. So when I say I'm overwhelmed, if you ask me how I'm doing, sometimes I will say that. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing because that means I'm not trusting in myself because I know better because I know I have no idea what I'm doing. But the last five years has been a season of transition for WBC. We have been through a lot together in those five years. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we, we've seen people married, we've seen people buried, we've seen people come, we've seen people go, we've seen lots of change, and we went through this little thing called a pandemic, which none of us had ever experienced in our life before, and it has been, some of the change was necessary, some of it was because, we, you know, we wanted to, and things like that. But I want to spend some time today looking at where we have come from, and seeing some of the things that have happened, and then ne uh, also next week, talk about uh, where we're going uh, over the next year and beyond that because of this. Where there is no vision, the people perish, and we don't like people perishing. God does not like people perishing, so we need some vision in the house. We need to know where we're going and why we're here and all of that. So, you have a brochure in your seat, and that's going to be your outline for the messages this, this week and next, and don't try to follow it because it'll be a little bit all over the map. But it's all connected, and I want you to take that home and study it. There will be a test next week. But for some of you, though, I want to give you a quick test right now, and I've got some merch, some nice gifts here. First thing I'm going to give away, and by the way, when I ask the question, don't shout it out because I'm not going to know who shouted I want you to jump to your feet if you know the answer, and then I'll try to pick the third one that stood up, because I know I'm not going to get the first one, and we'll, we'll get it right. All right? Ready? What is the name of the WBC podcast? All right. Wait, was he first? Was he first? He was. But... <laughs> I, I thought Linda was. He's, no, he's almost staff. No, 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 no. Come on, come on, come on. Stay, stay. No, no, Justin. Yeah. Justin, what's the name of the podcast? The Elaborators. The Elaborators. Did you have that right, Linda? All right. Hey, go to the cafe after and tell them to give you a, a cup too, all right? 
All right. The rest of you can buy those at the cafe afterwards. All right, here we go. This is a tricky one. Don't assume you know right away because there's a couple of answers that you might think. What is the vision of WBC? Jump to your feet if you know. Is anybody standing? All right, we got somebody standing. Right, over here. What? Hope multiplied. Hope multiplied. That's it. Here you go. Oh, hey! Thank you for your help, Daniel. And wow, wow. You know what I just found out? You need this message desperately. All right. I, I wondered always, am I wasting my time? Do they already know all this stuff? And clearly you have no clue why we're here. Uh, so, hey, over the first couple of months when I arrived, we did an, a very intentional evaluation of where we were as a church. And every church goes through uh, what they call a life cycle. Churches go through a life cycle, so it starts here and then goes and then there. So it begins with launching. So 55-ish years ago, something like 54, 55 years ago, WBC launched. And when a church launches, it's because there's a few people that are really passionate to see an expression of the church in their local community, and they believe that there's not a significant one there, and they are actually passionate about reaching people, seeing people come to faith, things like that. That's the launch phase. And then in the life cycle of the church, we enter a stage of momentum growth, and that's exciting. New people are coming all the time. This is probably the most exciting time in the life of a church. You've always got new people coming, and the church is growing, and you have no idea why. It's in spite of what you're doing. So it seems like nothing you do can fail, and God's just blessing, and it's growing, 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 and then you enter this stage called strategic growth because the momentum growth has created the need. Sorry, Pastor Justin. I love you so much. For systems and structures and processes. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Actually, the, the reason... I actually went after Pastor Justin early on in my days here. And you know why? Because I am all about this. And he's all about the organic and everything. And we complement each other extremely well. So we, keep, we rib each other a little bit about our gifts and stuff. But uh, I am so passionate about having this guy around. Love you, brother. I'm still, so, I'm, yeah, I'm, still, I'm still the best looking, you know. But hey, you might catch up. You're younger than me. But anyway. So you go through this this stage of strategic growth, and it's also a place where you've had all these new people coming and coming and coming during momentum, and you realize, hey, it's not just about reaching people and getting them to come, but it's also about growing people in their faith. So if momentum growth is about reaching more people, strategic growth is about growing them, helping them to become all that God wants them to be. And then you get to this stage, and th this is every church, okay? So it's not, I'm not talking about WBC specifically yet. Sustained health. And that's when a church embraces the fine line and the balance between reaching people and discipling people, growing people and reaching people. And you're, everything's running pretty smoothly. The finances are okay. They're doing well. Never have enough money as a church. But it's all going really, really well, and it's called sustained health. And then, without even realizing it, you slip into what we call maintenance mode. In maintenance mode, Growth is still happening, but it's happening a lot more slowly. 
and people are still coming, but you're, you're starting to focus more internally. It's like we've grown this thing, God's grown this thing, and now we just need to take care of who we have and what we have, and we lose focus of outside and, and uh, reaching people. And the funny thing is that when you're in maintenance mode, it's deceptive because it still feels really good. It feels like things are going really well. Well, then, if you leave maintenance mode and you're on the life cycle, you end up with preservation. Preservation means you don't have new people coming anymore because you've been focused internally a lot, and now you're in preservation because things aren't going so well. Attendance is declining. Finances are declining, and you're hunkering down. You're going into protective mode to make sure that you survive preservation mode. After preservation comes life support. Let's get them back, you know. And most churches in this stage, they either close the doors or they decide to restart. Maybe they get another church to come help them and become a campus, things like that. That's what happens in life support. So we did a thorough evaluation of where we were as a church. And where do you think we ended up thinking we were five years ago? Shout it out. Strategic growth, I hear. Preservation. I hear preservation. Maintenance. 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 Okay. Those of you that were here are saying maintenance because you remember we found ourselves in maintenance mode. Overwhelmingly. There was actually tests we could do and things like that. And we overwhelmingly agreed, oh, we as a church are in maintenance mode. And it still felt okay. It still felt good. Things were all right. But we were in maintenance mode. And if we're in maintenance mode, what's next? Preservation. And then life support. So we had a decision to make when we realized we were in maintenance mode. The decision is, are we going to be okay staying in maintenance mode? And for those that were here back then, you very quickly realized that you didn't have a new pastor that was a maintenance man. Right? That was not going to be the case, or else it wouldn't, I, still, I wouldn't still be here five years later if we had decided it was okay to stay in maintenance mode. But to come out of maintenance mode meant that we had to be ready to do some really challenging, difficult things called change. When I think about change, it uh, illustrates it. Uh, well, here's the caterpillar talking to the butterfly. You've changed. And the butterfly says we're supposed to, right? That's how we need to view church, is you're supposed to change. You're supposed to be changing because you're supposed to be growing. And I don't mean numbers-wise collectively. I mean individually. You're supposed to be growing, and growth brings change. It's really cute when toddlers are toddling around and falling over and everything like that. But when they're 25, if they're toddling around and falling over, it's because they're drinking too much, right? <laughs> And that's not fun anymore. So we need to change. So we, we found ourselves in that maintenance mode, and we went then all the way back to answer the question, why? Why are we here? Why does WBC exist as a church? And I would even take that to, to another level and say, why does any church exist? Is where we started. We started wrestling through that question. And we believe that Jesus is the best source for understanding why the church exists because it was his idea in the first place. 
So we went back and we looked at two different passages that are commonly referred to as the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. They say this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty straightforward, right? It's all about love. Jesus said the great commandment is love. Love God and love people. And then the great commission in Matthew chapter 28 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus said, here's the great commandment, and here's the great commission, church, go, go do it. And then in Acts chapter 2, shortly after Jesus told them all these things, and then he left, the early church was born, the first church was born. And we thought, hey, it's important for us, as we're trying to figure out why we're here as WBC, to look at what the early church looked like, what they did. So we went to Acts chapter 2, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Verse 46 says, They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So we've got Jesus setting up, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to function and live in the world around you. And then we see the early church and how it functionally operated. We saw that that early church was vibrant and growing. And some of the key things that we recognized about them was that they were on about evangelism. The Lord was adding to their numbers every day. They were on about discipleship, growing, learning from the teaching, fellowship, worship, prayer, and then, of course, ministry, serving one another. So as a team, we got together and we said, okay, how can we take all of this, what I've just told you in the last five minutes, how can we synthesize that down into a, a clear, concise statement, an elevator pitch, if you will, that, that people can understand why we're here? And we came up with something. We came up with this. We came up with a loving community Seeking, serving, and sharing Jesus. Now, we went through a lot of statements before we found that one. And when we found that one, we were on fire. There was high fives and fist bumps all around. We were so excited. We had nailed it, right? And then somebody in the room said, uh, hang on a minute. What if someone comes and says, well, I'm reading that statement, but that's not my experience. And I said, does someone need a hug? But that hit us hard. Because we realized that as hard as we may try to, we're not always going to get this right. We're not always going to feel like that loving community that's seeking, serving, sharing Jesus. So we were, all the high-fiving and fist-bumping kind of was deflated because this one person asked that question. So then we started wrestling again, and three words emerged to help us with the statement. And those three words were striving to be. 
And that, my friends, is why we're here. We are striving to be a loving community, seeking, serving, and sharing Jesus. Those three words made our mission statement real and honest. And you know, that spoke into one of the values of the church. If you're following along here, you'll see your, the, that the, the, uh, why we're here and who we are and what we see. All those kind of work together. It made us real and honest, which spoke into the value of authenticity. There were real people living in a real world with real struggles and real challenges. And we're going to be honest and open about that. So sometimes we're not going to get it quite right. But we are striving to be. That also, that, those three words, striving to be, actually speak into our Christian journey. As those who follow Jesus, you would know and you would understand that the Christian journey is difficult, and we don't always get that right, but we're in good company. The Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, said it like this. He said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. The Apostle Paul said, I am striving to be. I haven't arrived yet. However, that's who I'm working to be. So we resonate with Paul in that part of our mission statement that we are striving to be. We are a work in progress. And when I say a work in progress, I love that word because we're talking about progress. We're not talking about perfection. We're not going to reach perfection this side of heaven, but we should always be making progress. We are works in progress. But the Apostle Paul said, said this way right after he said, I haven't arrived yet. He said, but I press on. I press on. I'm not giving up. Here's what I want you to take away from this striving to be, is that we need to start by acknowledging, we need to acknowledge that we haven't arrived. Anyone in that camp? Okay, four of us. Five, thank you. All right. We, we need to acknowledge we haven't arrived, but we need to refuse to accept where we are. All right? In our relationship with Jesus, we're going to mess it up. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. We need to refuse to accept good enough. You know, don't beat ourselves up all the time and everything, but say, hey, I'm still striving to be. I'm going to keep taking steps. I'm going to keep making progress. So what are we striving to be? Well, you know the answer because we've already started looking at it. We're striving to be a loving community. What that means is we're going to show love to our church and to our local community. Our church community and our local community, we're going to demonstrate love in that space. Why are we going to do that? Well, Jesus said, love God and love others. But he also said this, now I'm giving you a new commandment, speaking to his disciples, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This, my friends, was a game changer when Jesus was teaching his disciples because they were all about rules and rituals up to that point because that was the Old Testament. That's, they were under the law. And Jesus said, hey, this is a game changer, new commandment, love each other. And by that, people are going to understand and know that you're my disciples. I find it remarkable, fascinating what Jesus didn't say here. Jesus did not say that they will know you are my disciples by your superior understanding of theology. All the theologians in the room are wide-eyed right now. What? 
He didn't say, they will know you're my disciples because you attend church every single Sunday. All right. For those of you online, you just said, yeah, that's me. And I'll watch this three weeks from now. I don't have to watch it today. He didn't say, they're going to know you're my disciples because you're working in kids' men with the three- and four-year-olds, although that's getting pretty close. <laughs> he didn't say, they're going to know you're my disciples because you have an amazing worship band and can sing great songs. Ooh. That's fun. Yeah. That's energy. We love that. He didn't say, they're going to know you're, you're my disciples because you read your Bible every day. He didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples because you give heaps of money to the church. I think, although, again, just like the three and four-year-olds, we're getting really close again. <laughs> he said, they'll know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. That's why we want to be a loving community. Justin Martyr said it this way. We, who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else, now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. That was the early church. And by the way, friends, that list of things that, that, I, that I gave you that don't prove that we're disciples, those are all important. That's what that next series is going to be about, the six habits thing that uh, Simon was telling us about. So don't think those aren't important. Those actually will fuel the love that you have for each other. Another guy called yeah. Tertullian, thank you, quoted a, a, a Roman officials who didn't believe the same things that the Christians believed. And what he said was, they were saying, see how they love one another. The first church exhibited that so much that the outsiders saw it and said, wow, that's amazing. Friends, by showing love, people may not believe the same things that we believe, but no one is going to be put off because we're showing them love. How good is that? Think about that. Have you ever shown love to people and they say, stop it! Don't show me love. No. People want to be shown love. I like the way Andy Stanley says it. He says, people who are nothing like us would like us if we're doing this if we're showing love, if we're that loving community. So we're striving to be a loving community that is seeking Jesus, okay? Seeking Jesus. That means we desire to know Jesus more deeply and grow in our relationship with him. We seek him through prayer, study of the Bible, and obediently following his leading in our lives. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. We've already looked at Philippians chapter 3 a bit. The apostle Paul, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Paul said, I want to identify with Christ, and I'm going to seek him passionately. So if we're going to know Jesus, we're going to see Jesus, what does that look like? How do we get to know him? Well, it says the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles were teaching from the Old Testament, 
that pointed people to the Messiah. So the Old Testament actually points people to Jesus. If you thought the Old Testament's useless, it's not, because it sets the whole uh, scenario up for the New Testament when Jesus came. But they taught from the Old Testament, and they taught what Jesus taught them. They didn't have the Bible that we have today. They wrote much of the Bible that we have today. And that's really exciting for us because we have instructions and we have records from people who actually walked and talked and did life with Jesus. They recorded that so that we could understand how we could seek Jesus more deeply. That is exciting. You should be excited about that because if you got a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you can get it on your phone. We've got Bibles out there. We'll give you a Bible. You should be excited about the Bible because the people that went, spent time with Jesus wrote the Bible to tell us how to live our lives. Seeking Jesus fulfills our values. A couple of our values are we value the clear teaching and application of Scripture. And we put the emphasis on we teach Scripture, but we apply it. If you just teach it and it's all up here, that does nothing. It needs to change your life. And we also, it's one of our values, again, if you're looking in your brochure, one of our values is prayer. We value prayer because we believe that God answers prayer. We believe that prayer needs to undergird everything that we're doing because if we're doing it on our own, then it's not going to uh, amount to anything. It's all about what God does. So we invite him to show us where to go and then to help us with what we're doing. And of course, that early church engaged in worship. It says they were worshiping together, they were praising God. So all of those are part of our seeking Jesus statement. So we're striving to be a loving community, seeking and then serving serving Jesus. We will engage in ministry with our church, our local communities, and around the world, utilizing our gifts and abilities and resources for his kingdom. So what does it look like to serve Jesus? Jesus made it clear in Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read to you some of the words that Jesus said. He says, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your house. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did this to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Friends, we serve Jesus by serving others. When we're serving others, we are serving Jesus. You know, it, it, we love to say we're serving Jesus. I'm here to serve Jesus. But I think too often we, we don't really understand practically what that looks like. That looks like our coach program. That looks like our community assist program that's helping people that don't know Jesus. That's meeting practical, physical needs for people, feeding the hungry and giving drink to the thirsty and all of those things. And we'll talk more about some of those next week. But friends, we all need to be involved in serving Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 says that we are actually equipped for this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. What that tells us is that every person here, every person online, 
watching this right now, you have gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life and he gave you gifts. He gave you special abilities to serve him with. And we execute that. When we execute that, it's building up the whole body and it's reaching the world around us. So we're striving to be loving community, seeking, serving. When we're serving, we value engagement. Again, if you're looking at your, your brochures there, all the believers have gifts and abilities, experiences that are to be used in building up the body. But see, we have one more word that we haven't covered yet, and that's sharing, sharing Jesus. And this is, is a huge passion point for me. We will actively look for opportunities in our daily lives to tell others about Jesus, sharing our own faith journey and inviting others to experience him. The final words that Jesus said before he left the planet tell us this is not optional, sharing him. He said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why did Jesus want us to be his witnesses? Why was the, the, were those his last words? Well, it's because of this. Jesus taught that all humans are born into sin. We are all born into a condition that we can do nothing about. So Jesus came as God in the flesh to die for those sins, to pay for those sins, and then he rose again. That is the simple message of the gospel that he wants us to witness, to be able to tell people, hey, I've experienced Jesus. He's changed my life. He forgave my sins, and now I'm following him. And my life's not perfect, my life's not easy, but he is there with me when it's not perfect and when it's not easy. That's something that we value as a church. We say we value mission. We believe our main task on this earth is to get the gospel out to people who don't know it, both in our community and around the world. So what, you might ask. So what, what does this have to do with me? Well, five years ago, I became the pastor of WBC. And as I look around today, I'm still very humbled and I'm still very overwhelmed. But as I look around today and I think back and remember that we realized we were in maintenance mode in the life cycle of the church. By God's grace and by his power, I can stand here confidently today and tell you through the resilience and the hard work of many of you, we have truly become a church that is striving to be a loving community, seeking, serving, sharing Jesus. When we came up with that statement, that was very aspirational. But friends, when I look around today, my heart is warm. My face feels it. It's exciting to see that what we have become as a church. And I want to take a moment right now just to say thank you to everyone who embraced the vision and the mission of this place and invested in that with your time and your talents and your treasures and contributed to seeing the mission being fulfilled. We haven't even started talking about the vision much yet. We'll talk about that more next week. And friends, because you embrace that, you know what? We are no longer in maintenance mode. 
We have actually experienced a bit of a relaunch. And as I assess things today and I see what God's doing in our midst, we find ourselves here in this momentum growth stage again where God is doing stuff in spite of us. We don't even know why things are happening. We don't know why a bunch of you are brand new today, but we are so excited that you're here. Yeah, we're, we're striving to be, and we're being faithful. We're doing all the things that we can do, but God is blessing us beyond what I could have ever asked or imagined or thought. We are in this momentum growth stage right now. That's exciting for me. That should be exciting for you. And as you're going to hear more next week, we're actually, I believe, entering this strategic growth stage, and, and that's going to be exciting too. Of course, strategy and systems and everything. Yeah, woo! We're excited, yeah. But for some of you today, this is just a reminder of why we were here. And I hope it's been encouraging for you to see where we've come from and understand the why. For some of you, you you're more new to the place, and this is the first time you've actually gotten a picture of why WBC exists. For all of us, though, it's time for us to commit to this mission, fresh and anew, to say, hey, we are going to be that. We are going to strive to be that loving community that's seeking, serving, and sharing Jesus in our community with each other. And the way you're going to do that, two ways. Identify and invest. Identify and invest. What do I mean by those words? Well, first of all, when I talk about identify, you align with, okay? And the first thing you need to align with is Jesus, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, I would invite you today to identify with Jesus. Say, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus guy. Ask the person next to you when we're done. Ask one of the pastors down the front, one of the elders. Identify with Jesus. And then identify with his church. Identify with his church. Do you like the mission of WBC? Do you like that mission? Then how can you identify with it? I've got some options for you. Well, you can go get a tattoo right? Get the mission tattooed there. Wouldn't that be cool? We'll have our resident tattoo artist out in the foyer next week for anybody who wants that. Just kidding. She would not be willing. <laughs> and it might not even be legal. I don't know. But maybe you can get a t-shirt at the cafe. You can get a coffee mug. You can identify that way. You know another way you can identify? Membership. Becoming a part of the decision-making life of this church. Becoming, a, a lot of people here that are a part of that, they've heard a lot of this stuff before because they were a part of creating the mission, vision, values of our church. You want to be a part of that? that that's a way to identify. It says, hey, I'm all in. I believe in this place. I believe in what Jesus is doing here. If you want to identify uh, again with Jesus, other ways you can express that, follow Jesus, get baptized, those kinds of things. And then finally, I want to call you to invest. You might have already identified, but we need to invest in the mission. Investing in the mission means taking your time and saying, hey, I've got a few hours here and there through the week. I, I can give some time to this place. Give your talents. You have gifts and abilities that I don't even know about, but that we desperately need. And then give of your treasure, your finances. You know, you look around this place, you think, oh, I they are so blessed. We've got all kinds of money. We're dripping with money. Look at the lights. Look at the playground. Look at the car park. Look at the building. It's amazing. Friends, a lot of what you see 
It's held together by duct tape, gaffer tape, and hard work and creative ideas from people sitting right here. And a lot of the stuff is third and fourth hand that we've borrowed from other churches. You know, they, they, we get the hand-me-downs kind of thing. So when you look around, you say, wow, this place is amazing and all that. Well, it's amazing because God has blessed us and been good to us, not because we've spent a lot of money on those things. So I'd encourage you, invest. Invest your treasure in this place. Identification is a moment that leads to investment that creates momentum. I want to invite you today, go ahead and stand as we get ready to sing and finish this service. And I want you, as we sing, we're going to sing Fight My Battles again, and I want you to sing it from the depths of your heart. And I want you today to say, hey, what steps do I need to take to identify with Jesus or his church? What steps do I need to take today to invest in the mission? And let's join that together. Father, thank you so much for what you've done here over the last 50 plus years. But Lord, as we found ourselves on the right-hand side of the life cycle where if we kept going, that would not have been a good thing. Lord, you gave us that warning. You showed us, and you've enabled us to change. Lord, I want to thank you for putting in the hearts of your people to accept that and to change. And I want to thank you for what you have done in our midst that has created a new place that is striving to be a loving community, seeking, serving, and sharing your son, Jesus. Now, Lord, as we seek to identify and invest in the future of this place, Lord, we ask you to stir our hearts. And, Lord, I don't know what it is for each and every person, but that you would just move us to take action on what you are calling us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen.